notice that could potentially be a red flag during an interview process, in my experience, it's usually 10 times worse than you think yes. it is during the interview process. Yeah. Because people yes. are on the best behavior. Like, this is as good as it's going to get. So if someone seems prickly or if someone seems defensive or, um, you know, they are um, kind of shutting you down when you're talking during the interview process, like, th those are bad signs. Welcome to the Creating High Performing Teams podcast. Our goal is to be the most actionable podcast on leadership and management you ever heard. We want you to walk away knowing exactly what you can do to be a better manager every time you listen. I'm your host, Jason Evanish, the CEO of Lighthouse. And I'm here today with Wes Kale. She is co-founder of Maven, a company that empowers the world's experts to offer cohort-based courses directly to their audience. And previously, she was co-founder of the Alt-MBA with Seth Godin. And we're here today to talk about a really important topic, one that I think doesn't get talked about nearly enough, and that is the concept of managing up. The fact is, as a manager, your relationship with your team is important, but your relationship with your boss is even more important at times because they're the person who decides your performance, your compensation, and your future prospect at the company you're at. Wes wrote an amazing tweet storm a few weeks ago, it, back in October, and it went pretty viral for something about management. So it was very exciting. And so uh, Wes and I go way back, and so I was very excited to have her on the show today to talk about the nuances of this tweet storm she had, which we'll link to in the show notes, and to dig into some of the deeper details and then fit into uh, 280 characters. So Wes, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, excited to be here. So as we get started here, what we're going to do is I'm going to read the text of some of her tweets, and then we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. So the first tweet is the one that really catches your eye. It goes as follows. The secret, let your boss think they are managing you, but in reality, you are managing them. It's a Jedi mind trick. The more you manage your boss, the more they think you are doing great work. So I wanted to ask Wes, kind of zooming out a big picture, you know, when did you have this epiphany and, and how did that shift go for you? You know, what was the story behind thinking about this tweet storm? I think the epiphany for me came when I realized that my boss was really busy and they didn't have the time to manage me the way that I expected to be managed. I think early on in my career, I had expectations that, you know, this person, whoever my boss was, would would help me organize my projects and mentor me and be really involved in my day-to-day -day and make sure I had what I need. And I realized that that, you know, waiting for that day will never come because bosses have a full load on their plate themselves and they're managing a bunch of people, uh, you know, usually not just, not just you. And I realized that it was my responsibility to make sure that I was getting what I needed, that I was managing up by communicating to them what I was working on, what I needed, what the roadblocks were, how long things were taking if, you know, if they didn't understand how long a certain task would take. And so shifting the onus of responsibility onto myself really changed things. I think that's when, that's when my career started, it, when my work days started going better was when I realized that it's my responsibility to manage them. That's great. I, I think that that's something that managers and, and individual contributors can really relate to is this idea that I think there's a great saying that hope is not a plan. And I think hoping that you luck out and have one of those 1% incredible managers that are going to be really hands-on with you and really like pull things out of you is, is very difficult to hope for. 
And we'll dig dig in a little bit later on like how maybe you can screen for for a better manager uh, because the better the manager you have, the easier it is to manage them up. But being proactive about it, regardless of where you're at in the hierarchy of an organization, is uh, both empowering and is a great way to take control of your career because now you're not putting your fate in the hands of someone else. You're actually doing something about it yourself. So I think that's um, that's a very good point. Yeah, I think also that by managing up, that's how you create a great relationship with your manager. So I think most people think it's the opposite, that you know you find an amazing manager and then you have this great relationship. But yeah. the you know you as a direct report managing up is what allows your um, your boss to see that you're someone who is worth investing in and they, is worth working closely with, and so that you know that actually kicks off the virtuous cycle. So I think most people think of it right. as a as a flipped thing. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the tough things about being a manager is that if you do a good job, you get rewarded with often an even bigger team. And so it makes your job even harder. And so having people on your team that you can really count on and that make your life easier is something that every manager appreciates. Even if you have the best manager in the world, they're still going to appreciate you being proactive about this. Absolutely. Cool. So digging into the tweet storm, then you had three main tips uh, that I thought were really great. And so the three tips to manage your boss that you mentioned were offer solutions, not problems, make requests, not complaints, and keep your boss in the loop. And then you said, remember, as much as you can, can't read your boss's mind, they can't read yours either. And so I wanted to kind of see if there were some specific things like, how did you kind of narrow it down to those three tips? And, and like, how much trial and error was there in kind of like understanding what those were? So much trial and error over the years. And, and even <laughs> now, I have to remind myself of a lot of these. I think that as a direct report, it's really easy to to assume that your boss knows what's on your plate and can read your mind. And, you know, when they don't understand something that you're doing or, you know, assume, oh, that's going to take 30 minutes, it should be pretty easy. And I'm over here thinking that is at least going to take five to six hours. Like you don't understand what this entails. Like, you know, and then to feel disrespected or to feel resentful or feel like, you know, my boss doesn't understand my work and doesn't appreciate my time. Like it's so easy to get into, um, this, this tailspin of kind of feeling, feeling sorry for myself that, you know, my boss doesn't understand me. And so realizing that, Hey, this person can't read my mind. I can't read theirs. They can't read mine either. And so, you know, thinking about how can I be proactive to communicate yep. with them, to share with them the things that I think they need to know. So that, that was really the kind of the mindset shift. So in terms of, you know, the way that it, it plays out with these three different tips, the first one is offering solutions and not problems. I think that one's, that one's huge because managers have problems land on their desk all day, every day. There are always yep. things breaking, right? Like something that was working mm -hmm. yesterday is now broken today. And, you know, looking next week, looking ahead, you can't anticipate the things that are going to pop up. So mm -hmm. managers are so um, swarmed with needing to problem solve that decision fatigue is real. And if you mm -hmm. are a direct report and instead of just throwing another problem on their pile of problems on their desk, instead of doing that, if you can offer a solution, that really automatically sets you apart. And, mm -hmm. and the idea there is that, you know, you as a direct report know that there's this problem. And instead of just dumping on your, your boss's desk, you're going one step further and thinking about what are some ways that we could solve this problem. And then you bring it to your manager. So you still bring mm -hmm. the problem to your manager. You're just doing it, you know, one step further where you've thought about how might we solve this? What are some options of things we can do? 
And that makes it much easier for your boss to help you, for your boss to unblock you, right, and help get you going. Absolutely. I think that's an important thing uh, to keep in mind that some people I think miss is some people will jump straight to a solution be like, well, I think we could do it this way. And they just start running with that. But you still do want to provide that context to your manager so that they understand why you're even bringing this up. And if you if you have a solution you're suggesting, they can they can also use their experience and their insight to help either maybe tweak what you're doing or or consider multiple options. I think it's super important to illustrate the frequency and magnitude of the problem, the gravity of it. So if you, if you, you know, come to your boss and, and just say, Hey, this thing really sucks. You know, here are a couple solutions. That's still not really enough. You saying that this thing sucks doesn't give them insight into how often is this problem happening? How bad is Mm -hmm. it each time it happens? Is it a minor annoyance? It's kind of irritating Mm -hmm. Or is it, you know, the company is, is going to collapse if, if this happens like a couple more times, right? Like how bad is it? Yeah. Um, so explaining, hey, this is costing us, you know, X dollars per quarter, mm-hmm. right? Or this is costing me 10 hours per week to do this thing. Like I think you think this is, you know, a one hour per week thing to, to do this data poll, um, but it's actually a 10 hour per week thing. That literally happened last month with one of my direct reports. <laughs> I thought that a data oh. poll was was like an, a one hour per week thing and 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 he told me this is like a 10 to 15 hour per week thing. I had no Ooh. idea. <laughs> it was it was wild. I had no idea yeah. and and he had been suffering in silence for a while, you know? And so yeah. I sat him down and virtually and was like, "Dude, like you cannot suffer in silence. You have to tell me yeah. if this thing is 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 killing you, right? Like you shouldn't mm-hmm. you he knew that he this is probably, you know, more labor intensive than than it should be, but he was, you know, he was trying to be a team player. He was trying to to suck it up, which I appreciate, you know, him trying to be, to be gritty and, and resourceful, but I wanted to know that it was taking way longer than, than I expected. So him coming Mm -hmm. to me and saying, you know, here's this problem, here's how long, you know, it's going to take, uh, sorry, here's how how long it's taking me per week or here, here's how much it's costing essentially in in time, you know, money, et cetera. Um, that gave us a chance to think about how do we want to tackle this? That's that's a great story. I love that. And that actually leads into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is now you're a co-founder. And so there's a lot of extra things that come with that. You know, one, you don't necessarily have a boss except for maybe your board of directors or, you know, depending how your co-founder relationship is. So there's some of that, but then there's also, like you mentioned, your team member didn't necessarily come to you. Like, I think that when you have the co-founder title, there are times where you can unintentionally, simply because of the title, intimidate your team a little bit because they think, oh, you're really busy. Oh, hey, you've got a lot of things. Like, my problem doesn't matter um, or isn't as important and things like that. So I'm curious, as a co-founder, you're certainly a manager as well. And so what advice do you give to your team? How do you introduce this concept maybe to uh, some some of the people that have joined, uh, joined Maven? Yeah, great question. I'm very upfront with everyone that I work with, especially direct reports, that I might not know the details of what you're working on and how long things mm-hmm. take. I personally spent many years suffering in silence, um, kind of pulling all-nighters, doing this thing that that my manager asked me to do, and only realizing after the fact that they they probably didn't know what it took behind the scenes. So I mm-hmm. love when my direct reports, when team members let me know the level of effort involved in doing a certain task. As a manager, you know, you might be managing people where you personally don't have subject matter expertise on those issues or, or, or in their functions. 
And even if you do have subject matter expertise, I mean, I, I tend to for most of the people that I manage, there's still things that they're working on that, you know, I might not know the details of, of how long it takes. Um, so we actually uh, have a channel in Slack called Repetitive. And oh, nice. Yeah, so so the the reason that I created the Repetitive channel is because I wanted people to have a dedicated space to surface if you think that you're doing something that a computer might be able to do better or that you think there might be a smarter way of handling something than manually doing it and it taking hours. I want you to put it in the repetitive channel. Let's surface that so that other people can chime in and say like, oh, actually, there's a macro that does that or there's a Google add-on or there's a, a great Chrome extension or uh, you know, a different way to do that is, you know, instead of manually compiling a bunch of responses, you could do a form in the future, a survey, a Google form to collect everything in one spot, right? I think, mm -hmm. you know, for me in the past, I always felt a little bit embarrassed that something was taking me so long. And I think that emotional aspect is important to, to mention because, you know, sometimes you're a little bit ashamed that like, this is taking me such a long time. And if I, if totally. I share to my manager, if they knew how long it took, they might think that I wasn't as smart as, as they assumed. And I don't want them to judge me and, and think less of me. So I'm going to not tell mm -hmm. them this. I'm going to kind of keep it behind the scenes. Um, and, and I don't want that. I don't want people to feel ashamed that something is taking as long as it is, right? Like, tell me how long yeah. it's taking. And if I have some ways to, to make it faster that you might not know about, um, that's great. Like, let's talk about it. You know, um, and this, this actually literally happened yesterday. So, so all these things are so, um, so, so top of mind all the time. This happened with, with a new EA of mine who just started two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was booking flights for me for, uh, an upcoming trip. And, nice. um, she was working under certain constraints in my, how to work with West doc, my user manual doc. Um, nice. and she had spent hours on the phone with, with, uh, you know, American airlines trying to use these flight credits. Mm -hmm. trying to find flights that fit within these certain constraints. And then only after the fact, when she sent me the flight that she booked, did she realize, you know, when I should like, oh, actually, you know, it's, it's not a huge priority to use up these credits because we have a year. And, and <laughs> yeah. she picked a worse flight, uh, you know, multiple layovers, longer flight time, you know, worse did too early in the morning. Uh, <laughs> she didn't, luckily. Oh, my God. Thank God. Oh, oh God. That, that would have been, you know, I couldn't do that. So, so she, yeah, she yeah. gave me an aisle seat, which is good. But, but basically, okay. she was working under all these different constraints and, it, and had spent hours trying to fit those constraints. And we realized from this that, you know, in the future, if she's not really sure how to prioritize different competing priorities, she should speak up and let me know. Right, like send me a quick mm -hmm. Slack message and say, "Hey Wes, I'm I'm about to pick your flights. I'm you know realizing that there's a, a couple trade-offs here. Do you have five minutes to chat about it?" Right. For me, like that would have been a great use of time because I'm still onboarding mm -hmm. her. It's only her second week, and this is the first time that she's <laughs> yeah. booking travel, and so that would have been a, a super highly leveraged use of time. And then mm -hmm. I would have had her update the how to work with West Doc to be more nuanced, right? Because there's Absolutely. something about it that you know the way it's written now that was confusing to her. So. So, right. you know, so we both learned from this. This was literally like 12 hours ago. So, so, nice. you know, Beautiful. speaking up, speaking up about what you're frustrated about. I think bosses want that, you know, like you want to mm -hmm. do it in a way where you're not complaining, right? You are, you're yeah. making a request. The request here is, Hey Wes, can you chat for five minutes about this thing? Yep. Or, Hey, here are a couple options of what I'm considering. And she could have sent that as a Slack message too, if she didn't want to talk on the phone, you know, here's a couple options that I'm considering. Which one do you prefer? Like those are all mm -hmm. request driven, not just saying, Wes, like this is super confusing and annoying. And I've been on the phone for, you know, four hours, you know, with Expedia and this all sucks. 
Like if she had said right. that, it wouldn't have been great. So it's still, you know, making a request, kind of moving the ball forward and giving your boss something to react to. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that because for for me, 12 hours ago, I was interviewing Eric Jorgensen to talk about leverage. So this is a perfect example of that. So so if you're listening to this episode, you should also go listen to our episode on leverage because this repetitive channel is a perfect example of exactly what Eric was talking about, about this idea of as a manager, you want to see how you can like power up your whole team and understand where they're getting blocked and repeated. So this is fantastic, Wes. You, you are just a symphony conductor bringing it all together. I love this. Thank you. One other thing uh, before we move on from the offer solutions, not problems aspect is should as a, as a direct report, whether you're a manager yourself uh, bringing something to your boss or you're an IC maybe listening to this, should you be bringing one solution? Uh, should you bring multiple ones and talk about trade-offs? Like, is the idea of offering solutions, not problems, mostly about just come up with the first thing you think of? Or how much thought should somebody be putting into the solution or multiple solutions they're bringing to the table for their manager to consider and, and trying to solve whatever's blocking, frustrating them, or they're trying to, trying to act on? Yeah, great question. You should definitely not go with the first thing that comes to mind. Usually. Um, it depends. If, if it's something that, that you've solved many times before, then, then your first instinct might be right. But you definitely yeah. want to bring the solution that you actually recommend, right? Like your mm -hmm. boss might just say yes to whatever solution you bring. So you mm -hmm. should feel like, you should feel good about it. You should feel like this, this is actually my recommendation. Um, and I think it also depends on, uh, the amount of time you spend thinking about the solution depends on how reversible the decision is, how yes. how you know important it is, right? Um, so, so you you want to spend the, the appropriate amount of time for for the importance of that decision. You know that's that's part one. Um, mm -hmm. Part two is I usually like when direct reports say their recommendation up front, so they give a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, here's the situation. Here's my recommendation, and mm -hmm. then below they say here are you know, for context, here are a couple other things that I considered. So mm -hmm. that way I, I see that they looked at, uh, that they, that they have a full understanding of the situation. If you, sometimes mm -hmm. if you just say one solution, your boss can't really tell, you know, was that the first thing that you thought of and you just went with it? Right. Or did you actually think about the, you know, the implications of this and, you know, other options and you compared the other options and you said, you know what, like, you know, A is what I'm going to go with, but B, C, D, mm -hmm. you know, are things that I actually did look at. So it also, it also, um, it also matters how much trust you have with your, your manager. You know, if they know mm -hmm. that you're someone who usually thinks of, of other options, then you might not need to list those other options. But mm -hmm. if you are someone who, um, if you're, if you're new, right, if, if you're still calibrating with each other, um, sometimes it's good to just share, hey, like I also thought about these things. The reason I didn't go with them is because. Yeah, I think also, as you were mentioning, the size of problem comes into it. So like one of the concepts that we teach a lot on the Lighthouse blog and then also I use internally with the Lighthouse team is this idea of the waterline principle, which is basically you imagine a boat sitting on the water. Part of the, the hull of the ship is underwater and part of it is above water. Well, if you think about it from the scope of problems on a boat, if you have a hole in the boat and it's above the waterline, it's okay. We'll go get some, we'll get some plywood, some hunks of metal, and we'll patch it up, and it's okay. But if you put a hole below the waterline, we kind of have a problem. And so I like to talk about things from the scope of the waterline where it's like, hey, this is a very difficult-to-reverse decision. You know, if we've got hundreds of gallons of water bursting into the side of the boat, that's going to be a pretty big issue for us to fix. And so if it's something that can sink the boat or the company or the team, so to speak, then – one, I think as, as, a, 
as an as a person trying to manage up to your manager on the problem, you want to convey the level of importance of it. And then also, I think the level of consideration you want to have for the kinds of solutions you're bringing and how many trade-offs and how much time you spend thinking about it should be greater than if it's a smaller issue or it's one that you could easily consider above the waterline or as you know, Jeff Bezos likes to say, is a reversible or irreversible decision. If it's a reversible decision, I think you can move faster. If it's irreversible, one, I think you should make sure your manager understands that this is below the waterline or it's an irreversible decision. Um, and then also convey to them what your suggestions are. But I think you have to think about this from the perspective of like, like, like what I was saying earlier, like you have to think about the, the size of the issue and the impact of it, and you should respond accordingly. So put more effort, more thought, more time into it if it's a bigger, potentially irreversible problem. And if it's a smaller issue, then you can come up faster. Um, but either way, like you should be thinking about like the level of detail should match the level of problem it is. Cool. So another thing you mentioned, uh, your next tweet I wanted to read off was about burnout. Uh, I think it's something that no matter how much people will maybe tweet about the feeling, it's it's something that maybe doesn't get talked about inside companies enough. And so I know way too many people have burnt out. And so uh, I love that you brought this up because I think a manager can have a really big impact on how their team is feeling and that can go all the way to the point of burnout. So uh, your tweet went as follows. You feel burnout creeping on. Uh I can't keep doing this. I'm exhausted can be an easy thought that anyone can have at work. Uh, But the better way to say it is a vacation in the next couple months would be great. How do these days work? This implies to your boss that you need a break, but in a more positive manner. Um, So looking at uh, how you can kind of explore these two different contrasting ways to talk about burnout with your boss, how much do you feel like you should share with your boss on something like that? Do you think um, the reason for such a suggestion like you need a vacation is that helpful context like how much should you reveal to your boss when it, it maybe is something like this where it's it's not necessarily a company problem it's more of like a a need that you have personally yeah this is actually a tweet that i would rewrite in this thread okay if i Great. had well, a chance we're here to correct the record. yeah yeah so <laughs> i think the original the original way that i wrote it um mm-hmm. is doesn't really get at the root of the problem and, mm-hmm. and the comments on it were great because they pointed it out. And immediately when I read the comments, I was like, yes, I completely agree. So talking mm-hmm. about a vacation doesn't necessarily um, address the root burnout problem because mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the feeling of overwork is still going to be there once you come back from yeah. the vacation. And so um, I think uh, you know, saying I can't, I can't keep doing this, I'm exhausted, I still think that that's a bad idea. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think a, a better way of, of broaching the topic to your manager is saying, I love the work that I'm doing um, and, and right. So not, but, but, and yeah. um, there's a lot and I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm, I'm, you know, starting to drown or, or, you know, trying to, trying to stay afloat. Can we look at how I should prioritize to make sure that I'm the most highly leveraged with, with my work? So mm-hmm. something like that talks, you know, surfaces the problem that, Hey, like there's a lot. I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. I, and, and, you know, and mentioning that you want to do high quality work, right? I want to make sure I don't drop any balls. Um, if, if we go down this path, I could see myself potentially, you know, certain things falling through the cracks, uh, and I don't want that. So, you know, let's kind of regroup and figure out how do we prioritize so that we're on the same page about, um, what's most important for me, um, to, to handle and right. What does that stack rank? Um, and I think that sets up a much more productive conversation for, um, your boss being aware of, of, of what's going on with you. Um, mm-hmm. and then 
And then again, offering that solution. So all these tips are kind of tied, um, right? Instead of just yeah. complaining and saying like, you know, this is, this is just unbearable. It's unsustainable. And just offloading on your boss, you're, instead of doing that, you're um, suggesting having a conversation, looking at what are all the different projects on my plate right now um, mm-hmm. and making sure that we're aligned. So that idea of alignment, I think, I think mm-hmm. most managers really appreciate that. Um, most managers uh, love when, when their direct reports want to um, align on, on what their priorities are and how they should be spending their time. Um, and it also services the chance to um, talk about what might be taking longer than you think, right? Because your boss yeah. might think like, oh, actually, really? Like you're working on these two projects. I, I would have thought that, you know, you had you had some extra time even so you saying that um you're actually stretched too thin like let's look under the covers at you know how long certain things are taking not from a perspective of let me you know set the timer and make sure that you know you're doing this as fast as you can you know that's not that's not a great attitude uh as a manager to bring to the table but more understanding um what are some areas where maybe maybe my direct report um thinks that you know this area of the project needs to be really really perfect so they're spending mm-hmm. a ton of time, you know, polishing it, making it, make, you know, making it amazing when I as manager think that, oh, like that's just, we just need to be good enough on that. Like that's an internal thing. We're never, you know, it's not customer facing like that. Actually, mm-hmm. it's okay if it's a little messy. So it's really surfacing um, misunderstandings like that, that allow Absolutely. that direct report to then, um, you know, maybe trim some stuff off their plate entirely. Yeah, and the thing I would add too is uh, a few years ago I, I learned about something called nonviolent communication, and I think the number one thing I, I really enjoyed that I learned from it was a certain f- way that you phrase emotion, and so basically it's a formula where you say, "When I X, I feel Y, and I would like to change Z." And so the whole idea is you can say, "When I have." this kind of task on my plate for the majority of my work week, I feel frustrated because I don't get to do the things I really like at work. I would like to see us change this about my job. Uh, and so I think one of the things that like we have to acknowledge is that we're human beings and we have emotions and we have feelings. And so sometimes I've also learned that part of burnout can come from frustration and and other kind of negative emotions that can come from things where it's like if you feel like you're being taken advantage of if you feel like you're uh spending too much time on things you really don't like and don't get to do the things that you do love to do if you feel like your work doesn't matter uh if you feel like you've had to redo the same thing over and over again and you don't understand why there's a lot of reasons why those emotions can come up and i think that if you're managing up to your boss and you're trying to bring it to them helping them understand how you feel when certain things happen and capture that problem and then propose how it could be different is a really good formula for them to understand like i know there's been many times where my team has come to me and been like hey when you do this thing jason it's really frustrating and you're like oh wow i had no idea i didn't know that that like was even an issue for you and like i have to know that in order to realize we should change something and often that can be a pressure relief valve then on on something where it's just like you just had no way of knowing that that was that how that was affecting them like you were talking about earlier your team member who's spending 15 hours on something you thought was easy like i imagine there was probably a little bit of resentment there where like your nonchalance, maybe you thought it was a simple task, they were reading into in other ways they shouldn't have. And only once you realize like, oh wait, it's 15 hours? Whoa, like, you know, it makes you unpackage it in a different way. And so I think 
it's also important to tell people when you're managing up, it's okay to share that like something's causing an emotion with you because sometimes your manager will have no idea. And assuming they have good intentions and we'll get into toxic box bosses in a minute, um, assuming they have good intentions, if they hear, uh, that like they're getting, that you're getting frustrated or it's upset, something's upsetting to you, they're going to want to know. And there, there may be something you can work together on fixing. How are you really doing as a manager? What does your team think of you? And how can you improve? These are common questions every good manager has. But if you don't find out the answers to them, you're not going to become the best manager you can be. Instead, you risk being blindsided by surprise turnover or secret frustrations your team has about you that you never even knew about. To become a great manager means investing in yourself. You need to build the right habits, measure how you're doing, and learn new skills to keep improving. That's why we built Lighthouse Pro. It includes everything you need to be a great leader, including our one-on-one -on -one software to help you build and keep the right habits to build great relationships with your team. Our manager score benchmarking survey that gives you anonymous feedback from your team on how you're really doing and how you can improve based on your score. And we give you access to our Lighthouse Lessons program to learn new skills you can immediately apply to your team to bring out their best. Getting access to Lighthouse Pro starts by signing up for a 21-day free trial of Lighthouse. You can see today how you can have better one-on-ones and much more that makes you a better manager at GetLighthouse.com now. So your next tweet that I really liked was all the benefits you get from managing up well. So as you put it, when your boss loves you, you have options. You can take on more interesting projects. You can spar one-on-one -on -one and riff on interesting ideas. And there's room to grow and develop skills in new areas. In short, you get the benefit of the doubt. Um, I was wondering if maybe you could share an example of perhaps maybe when you made this transition in the past uh, or uh, a key relationship maybe shifted either because someone started managing up to you that way or, or maybe as you were kind of going through this journey of the trial and error of you learning, learning how to do this yourself. I've worked with a lot of colleagues that were um, at the same level who mm -hmm. were great at managing laterally. So I consider managing yeah. up, down, laterally kind of all in the same bucket. Um, and so with, with those coworkers, um, I think them proactively bringing up a topic that they wanted my feedback on where they were giving the right amount of context and wanted to riff on an idea, those have created some really, really productive conversations. Um, and so, you know, right now I'm working with two of our GMs, a GM of core and a GM of partnerships at Maven. Um, and both of them run their own business lines. Um, and our relationship is more, was more one where I'm supporting and uh, a thought partner for them. And I think that we wouldn't have such a, a productive um, relationship and come up with such good ideas with, you know, with every single one of our one-on-ones if they uh, weren't so great at, at quote-unquote managing up or, or managing laterally. Um, so I think, I think that's one great example where a lot of these tips, it's not just managing up to your boss. It's also any, any colleagues, coworkers where you need their buy-in and support. I mean, that's, that's just as often as, as, um, needing something from your boss or needing approval or, or buy-in. Um, a lot of times you need buy-in from colleagues to be able to get something done because most of our, 
a, a lot of our work uh, as as professionals these days is cross functional. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. a great example of um, you know getting the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know me, you know being more excited to talk to them, me wanting to support them, me you know being eager to see you know how can I plug into your team, how can I help fill gaps, uh, you know what do you want to to talk through, right? I think if if it mm-hmm. were a less productive relationship, it'd be like. Mm, like you're you're tapping a lot of my time you know like you yeah. should figure this out yourself or this is what you're here for right you're the gm yeah uh, and it's not like that it's 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 the other way it's it's much more collaborative and um intellectually stimulating i would say i think like that's that's yeah. huge right it's intellectually stimulating for both of us because they do such a great job of managing laterally that's great so actually let's let's jump into that now we, we've alluded to it to to it a couple of times the idea of like toxic bosses and when it's not an ideal scenario of who you're managing up to so let's talk about your tweet about that so you said important note these ideas do not apply to toxic bosses those who throw you under the bus gaslight you and refuse to acknowledge your contributions sadly many of us have had to work under leaders like this and the damage can take years to undo so other than what the long-term solution may be which is warm up your resume and either transfer internally if you're at a big company or find a new job, what would your advice be for people who maybe do have a cha- uh, challenging boss? What can they do about this? I think what you said as a long-term solution is is definitely <laughs> the most ideal. So it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty hard to change people. Um, you usually don't have the leverage to, to change someone's orientation, personality um, sure. approach. So yeah, so I would say 90%, you know, think about getting out of there. But... You know, in the meantime, because, you know, not all of us have the, um, the luxury of being able to, to switch jobs, um, mm-hmm. I think being clear on what your boss expects from you by when and what their style is that they, re- they prefer to receive information from you or prefer to work with you, I think that's mm-hmm. probably something that you can do to improve and streamline that dynamic. I think a lot of us, you know, assume that our bosses... Um, prefer to communicate in the we in the way that we prefer to communicate. So you know mm-hmm. if I'm uh, you know if I'm more of a text driven person and I like uh, typing things out um, and sending Slack messages that describe things or, or creating Google Docs, my manager might actually prefer a quick phone call instead, or vice versa. There's a lot of people who you know assume their boss wants to talk about something and and talk through the thought process when their boss actually wants to know the bottom line you know, what did you decide on? Like, I don't want to hear the backstory. I don't want to hear your thought process. I just want to hear what you decided on. And if I'm okay with that as boss, then, then we're good to go. Right. So depending yeah. on your boss, like they could have very different preferences with the amount of context that they want, the way that they want to hear that context, um, the type of decision that they want to be kept in the loop on. So there's yeah. all kinds of assumptions that we make. Um, and usually if you, if you have a good relationship with your boss, you kind of figure that out together. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you don't really have that, being more explicit up front and, and just asking them and getting some examples, right? It's a little bit more upfront work, but saying, you know, in these situations, do you want me to keep you in the loop or should I just go ahead and do it? Because I want to make sure I'm not yep. bothering you, you know, with stuff that you don't want to be bothered with. Uh, whereas with this kind of decision, uh, and, you know, and what, what, what belongs in this bucket? What are, the, what are the types of decisions that belong in the bucket of, um, yes, you should keep me in the loop, um, you know, on a, on a more frequent basis. Yeah, I think that's great. The one thing I would add too is if you can figure out what the motivations are for your manager, like what are the, what are the key things they're trying to deliver that can help you figure out how to bring alignment where you can say, Hey, you know what? 
if I know that they're trying trying to really accomplish X, I can try and make sure the things that I present to them are aligned against that as well. So I think those are kind of some of the tricks that you can use. Uh, I also like what you mentioned, Wes, about specifically building building out your communication style to match and mirror theirs. I think that's a very basic like human principle. Like you mirror you mirror someone's posture, you mirror someone's body language, you actually feel more connected to them. And so if you do have a more difficult boss, those simple hacks can can make a difference and chip away at some of the problem. But I do think that the ultimate solution is, look, if you have a toxic boss and they're even difficult to manage up to and, and like get what you need from them, then the real solution is to find a boss who does care, which is why I did want to talk about specifically that challenge. So how do you pick the right boss coming full circle the best way to not have a toxic boss is to never go work for one uh but with the rise and remote work i think we have a lot of options and choices for jobs and a lot of times you now you know i don't know if it's the case at maven but a lot of companies you now have people that you will hire and you'll go work for somebody or some company and you have never met anybody in person the only interaction is like we're having today where i'm looking at you over a camera and you're looking at me over a camera and we're both you know in our homes and so what advice would you have for people who maybe do need to make this shift? How can they tell whether they could have a good boss they'll manage up to uh, in an interview process so that they screen for the right people? I think being able to talk to your boss in a real, you know, down-to-earth, open way during the interview process is a great sign that uh, that's going to be a good relationship. So I would say that any... Anything that you notice that could potentially be a red flag during an interview process, in my experience, it's usually 10 times worse than you think yes. it is during the interview process. Because yeah. yes. people are on the best behavior. Like, this is as good as it's going to get. So if someone seems prickly or if someone seems defensive or, you know, they are kind of shutting you down when you're talking during the interview process, like, that, those are bad signs because that means that mm -hmm. once you start working with them it's probably going to be even worse the, you know the more comfortable they feel about you um right. so i think noticing these these subtle um these subtle unspoken signs of whether we are simpatico you know it's mm -hmm. my answer here is really not as um it it's not as rooted in the the rational as as um, you might expect or that some people assume I really mm -hmm. think that people have an intuitive sense of each other from mm -hmm. initially meeting like yep. there are people that I've met where um, on the surface we seem like we'd be great friends we have a lot in common and you know mm -hmm. personality wise we seem similar and then we talk and there's some there's like a glass layer or something like there's something about mm -hmm. when they say something that I don't really understand what they really mean and then vice versa, I assume. I don't really know what they think, but you know, I assume that it's vice versa. And for every one sentence of something that they say, it takes three follow-up sentences to understand what they really mean. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had this experience, but it's it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's right, it's 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 hard to explain. And noticing when that happens, I think is a it's a huge win. Like before Absolutely. I used to try making it work. Now I don't try to make it work. Now I consider that, you know, there's a lot of people out in this world. There's a lot of people that we both could potentially work with. So if we don't communicate naturally and we don't, quote unquote, get each other naturally, um, then we should probably just not work together because it's going to be too hard to, to, to constantly try to keep that up. Um, yeah, I, so, I have a – yeah, sorry. I yeah, have, yeah, I please. Have a rule, I have a rule now that I don't – I will never work for somebody from who, who is uh, from Southern California again. 
because it turns out that my East Coast directiveness and SoCal laid backness means that like I've had multiple bosses and shout out if either of them are listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> I've had multiple bosses where like literally I've been on walks with them and it's like I'm speaking French and they're speaking they're speaking Mandarin. Like it just like something is not communicating and connecting and it's because the communication styles are so so different between those two styles that like I finally realized after reflecting on some of my past managing up experiences that it was like, oh wow, like there is a fundamental communication disconnect here. So totally resonates, totally resonates with me with what you're saying because I've I've experienced that firsthand where I think I'm saying something to them and it's like not getting to them and you're like, wait a second, if we don't have this foundational thing, like of course everything's going to be harder. Yeah, I think I think acknowledging that upfront. Um, the yeah. sooner the better, you know, I think, I think yep. a lot of times you try to make it work and, and I used to do that. I would, I would try to make it work. Um, yep. but it usually doesn't end up working. So, you know, <laughs> knowing when something is a problem that you should try to solve versus a constraint that you should work yeah. around. I think that's, that's huge. Yeah. I think one other thing I would add when you're interviewing to think about is you can use your future peers as an insight as well. And mm, so you can ask them what it's like to work with the person. The catch is though, because I've run into this myself and with friends who, who I've been helping with their interview process, is sometimes companies will have you interview and you won't actually get to meet anybody who would be on your team. It's a great way, actually, if you have a team that's kind of messed up, I've seen companies do a little bait and switch where like they'll have you interview with someone on a different similar team and so it's like from their perspective, you're still getting your skills evaluated, but from your perspective, you have no idea what the team you're walking into is actually like. And so you want to be careful of that and cognizant of that, that if you do have like a peer discussion, like maybe you're an engineer and you're going to join a product team and like you're actually interviewing with an engineer who's not on the direct team you'd be hired, it is well worth asking before you accept the offer. Like, hey, I, I'd like to understand more about the culture of the team I'm specifically on. Can I speak with somebody who's on that team? And then honestly, you don't even need them to answer. Like if you just ask them the question of like, hey, Wes, what's it like to work work for this manager? Like what's what's hard and easy about it? And like literally their facial reaction will tell you all you need to know. Because if they're not enthusiastic, like, oh, this person's awesome. I love them. And like they do a great job of X and Y. They're probably going to pause and like you're going to see their face and be like, wow, they're trying to be diplomatic here. And then it's like, cool. Well, now I know all I probably need to know. Or, you know, you can pry a little bit to see if it's something you can handle because, for instance, you know, if it's like, oh, well, you know, they're great, but like they're kind of brash and direct, like they're from New York City, then you're like, cool, I like New Yorkers, so it's fine. Or you're like, man, New Yorkers are jerks. I don't want to work for someone like that. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I want to take it a step further and say that yeah. you could even ask um, your future potential direct manager this question. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I actually like asking um, candidates this question too. So I think it goes both ways. You can, you know, the, the manager mm-hmm. can ask candidate and vice versa. I like asking... If basically what are, what are things that bother you more than you think they should, or what are some quirks about you, pet peeves, like basically, basically, um, things that are a bit on the fringe, right? Cause I think usually during an interview process, you, you try to pre- present the best version of yourself. Um, yep. and, uh, and you, you try to show that you are a competent, you know, fairly normal person. And yeah. I like knowing what, what is weird about you, right? Like, mm-hmm. are there certain things that, that, uh, really bother you, um, or that rub you the wrong way? And then if, if you happen to say, um, if you happen to say something that, that describes me, then, well, that's useful, right? So the person, the thing about, mm-hmm. um, directness, so like, oh, like, you know, 
I really dislike when people are are too direct because like that I just feel like there's it's not necessary and it creates a lot of you know uh uh bad feelings blah 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 and and people have valid reasons right like whatever camp you're in it's a valid reason so this is not a judgment about oh you should be more direct or you should be less direct this is just like what is your personal preference so if someone Mm -hmm. says that then I will that's great that surfaces something that could potentially be an issue and I want Mm -hmm. them to know what could potentially be an issue too it doesn't it doesn't help anyone if you know I hide that and then hire them and then have to spend the next five years pretending not to be the way that I am like First of all, yeah. people are bad at pretending not to be the way that they are. Uh, and it just takes too much effort. Yeah. So I don't think I would be able to do it well totally. anyway. Um, so if someone said like, oh, you know, uh, people who are too direct kind of rubbing the wrong way. Uh, and so that would be an opportunity for me to say, okay, I consider myself pretty direct. Here are the ways that that I usually am direct. Here's, you know, here's an example of something I would say. Here's an example of something I wouldn't say because I feel like that's, you know, getting on the on the side of uh, of, you know, too extreme or, or, you know, uh, unnecessarily being a jerk. Um, mm-hmm. so like that is something that, um, most direct reports notice is like, I am pretty direct. So I want to put that mm-hmm. out there. Like no yep. need to react right away. Like just think on it. Cause I, I want you to know what you're getting into. And I also want to know what I'm getting into. So what are some totally. things about you that like, you know, uh, that, that can be, frustrating for other people sometimes right and again i think reiterating that this is not a value judgment this is not me saying you are a bad person for being indirect or whatever um this is just us sharing um the the potential downsides that that each person has um and sharing more about our style for things where um it would normally take you know a couple months of working together before we realized you know is this the tip of the iceberg or is this you know a huge huge lump you know underneath the water or is this something that we feel like we um, can 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 work around? And I think that's that's super important because people's definitions of certain words can be very different. So one person's definition of direct could be completely different from someone else's, right? Some people use direct totally. as a euphemism for um, I can say whatever I want and lash out yeah. and you should be okay with right. that, right? Other people <laughs> use direct as like I'm letting you know if something isn't good and then explaining it in a loving way. Like, so that's yeah. when I say direct, I, I mean that, like, I will tell you if something isn't good and I'll explain why, right. um, and then give a couple options of ways to fix it. So it's very collaborative. Mm-hmm. We're definitely doing this together. Um, but I'm not going to say that this is good if it's not good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting on the same page about when you say direct, what do you mean? Or when you say right. detail oriented, what do you mean? Or when you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, when you say proactive, what do you mean? And making sure that you are actually, you, you both mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. No, I love this. You're basically starting to manage up, starting in your interview process with them, which is, which is a great, great mindset to bring in. So this has been an awesome conversation. I know as a, as a busy founder, I'm sure you have to have to get going soon. But one of the things we're, we're doing with every episode of the Lighthouse podcast is that we are looking and asking, how can people take action? Because that's what this is really all about. We don't want this to just be a cool conversation that people forget about. We want them to actually go do things. And so I think your tweet storm is fantastic. We're going to link to it. And so people can kind of digest the whole thing, but we always want to talk about that first step. So people are, are, are going to take out the earbuds. They're going to go take a walk after they finish, finish listening to this. What should managers do to take action on what we've talked about today? What is the first step towards maybe changing your relationship with your manager? If maybe you're not doing some of the things you recommended, how would you, how would you take the first baby steps, the first uh, incremental steps towards actually trying to transform the managing up relationship? Like you, like we talked about today. I would think about something that you've been wanting to bring up with your manager, 
that you have been putting off. That's usually a sign that there is something that you're uh, not sure how to do or, or not sure what to say. Um, mm-hmm. And I looked through the tweet thread for some of the scripts that I shared of ways to bring up certain topics, whether it's offering mm-hmm. solutions, not problems, or you know, broaching uh, a difficult topic, difficult conversation, um, mm-hmm. and actually practicing those words. I think practicing mm-hmm. saying words and getting used to hearing yourself say them removes a lot of the awkwardness of building up a conversation in your head and then saying it for the first mm-hmm. time to someone. Uh, I think that's putting way too much pressure on that situation. I like talking it out with myself um, and getting used to used to saying the thing that I want to say so that by the time you say it to your manager, it feels much more natural. You've come to terms with it yourself. Uh, you're not bringing this fraught emotional energy uh, and pent up frustration into the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I have, I have a good, um, uh, another article that we can link to called Strategy, Not Self-Expression. Uh, yeah. And the idea here is that most of the things we say um, are self-expression in that uh, you're venting your frustration or, you know, by the time you, you bring up a topic with your manager, it's probably bothered you for a while. And so you kind of mm-hmm. offload to them and complain yep. and, and like you want them to know like how you've been wronged, basically. Um, and mm-hmm. that is not productive because this is the first time probably that your manager is hearing of this and they don't know where all this this you know anger is coming from. Um, and yep. that doesn't set it that doesn't set up a, a good um uh, foundation to talk about how to fix something. So the idea behind strategy, not self-expression is to get all that pent up frustration out of your system first, before you Mm -hmm. talk to the manager, um, and save the conversation for the 10% that is actually strategic. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by strategic is getting your manager to agree to whatever you are proposing, right? Whatever doesn't fit into what you're proposing, um, just trim that out. That's great. That's great. And so let's also flip this because obviously managing up means two different things for managers. They're on both sides of the, they're both, both sides of the equation. So they have their manager who's probably crazy busy uh, because they're even higher up in the organization, but they also have their team. So if a manager was trying to introduce these concepts to their team and they wanted their team to embrace some of these with them, what would you say is maybe the first thing they can do? Or how would you, how would you go about presenting some of these ideas if say maybe they haven't been doing a great job as a manager trying to help their team manage up to them? Yeah, this is this is tough. Um, I've I've struggled with this personally, where I wanted team members to manage up more, but I wasn't sure how to have that conversation because I didn't want to make myself seem like um, I didn't want to be their manager or didn't want to do my managerial mm-hmm. duties. Right, so it's almost harder to um, have that conversation with direct reports, um, ironically than it is to have the, the conversation with your boss. Because if, you, if you're going to your boss and saying, hey, I want to manage up more, you know, I'm going to start doing these things, or you know, tell, me, tell me what are some things that you've liked that other direct reports have done, or other team members, or other, other current reports, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's almost easier because you are the one being proactive. But if, if it's going the other way where you are, you are asking your direct reports to manage up more to you, I've definitely felt awkward about that because <laughs> it's just like, it's not like I don't want to be a manager to you. Like, I do. Um, so right. I don't want you to think that. Um, I think I think rewarding the behavior that you want to see and um, and segueing when they do something well um, into the broader point of hey like I love how you did this like when you manage yep. up like this uh, that's really awesome because it allows me to get a better view of what you're doing and, uh, and and you know notice how we had 
a much better conversation here because we were able to dive straight in because you gave the right context. So for me, I, I feel better when, um, when it's kind of, when it's couched in the context of some specific project. And especially mm-hmm. if they are managing up, I want to reward that. Um, and yep. if they're not managing up, using, again, that context of a specific project to say, oh, yep. like in this case, it would have been great to know, um, you know, X, Y, and Z. Or in the future, could you, could you uh, proactively mention this thing? Because me knowing this thing helps me better uh, support you, et cetera, et cetera. So I really try selling the idea of why they should manage up to me. I, yep. I even, you know, whether I'm presenting an idea to my boss or to my direct reports, um, I want to sell the idea. And a lot of managers mm-hmm. think that they shouldn't have to sell their ideas <laughs> to their direct reports, but I think you really do. I think you, you have to with every everyone that you work with. Um, and yep. so I, I want to explain the thought process behind why it benefits them to manage up to me so that they'll want to do it and they'll feel excited to do it. Yeah, yeah. How 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 is it beneficial to them? How do they get more of what they need? I know one of my principles I always tell everybody I work with is manage my expectations. Like we can literally solve any problem, personal or professional, if we know about it. But if you don't tell me about it, I can't help you. And so one of the things that I've worked very hard on is like people learn always learn it the hard way. Like they always are afraid to bring something up at first. And so, so you true. Have to, you have to positively reinforce it the first time they do. And then you have to teach them and show them like, hey, here's the process we go through when you come to me with stuff like this. We're going to talk about the problem. We're going to understand fully what's going on and how it affects you. And then we're going to talk about solutions. And you're going to be a huge part of that solution. And oh, by the way, the next time this happens, if you want to skip to the last step because you understand this is exactly what we're going to go through, like you're going to get a thumbs up from me 99% of the time. And usually that's when people, the light bulb goes off. So I, I love what you're saying there. Like, I think you have to think of it like coachable and teachable moments and how can you reinforce when people already do it? And if they're not already doing it, basically walk them through the process, just it, naturally how you solve it. And then be like, Hey, actually there's a framework within this that you can reuse. That psychological safety that you just mentioned is yes. so important. The, mm-hmm. the emotional energy that you bring to a conversation is subtext for how your direct yeah. report is going to interpret what you're saying. So you could say all the right things content-wise, uh, but if your attitude is surly and you look bothered and irritated and, um, and you know, frustrated that they're bringing something up to you, um, they're going to pick up on that. You know, people are smart. They're going to pick up on that and they're going to realize that, oh, like, you know, Wes said I could talk to her about these things and, you know, here I am talking to her and she's not pleased that I mentioned this. I'm just not going to mention it in the future. So mm-hmm. really reinforcing when someone does bring something up to you um, and making sure that it's a positive emotional experience, that it feels good. Like, I am glad that this mistake happened because we now get to learn from it. We get to talk about it. And this is exactly mm-hmm. what's supposed to happen. This is totally normal. Um, yeah. I think that, that you need to almost um, over-message that as a manager yeah. than you think you might need to because especially if you have good people working with you, they probably already feel pretty bad. At, at you know whatever you know mistake or, or misstep or whatever they could have done better uh, so they're probably already beating themselves up and they probably doubted or, or um uh debated internally whether they should bring something up to you or just trying to kind of you know move on um so if they if they chose the brave path of surfacing something to you really reacting in a way that's that's overwhelmingly positive that mm-hmm. reinforces that this is awesome like i'm so glad that you did this that's going to encourage them to continue bringing things up with you and make sure that you're really um your your words and your your reaction are matched absolutely this is 
It's great. Wes, this was a fantastic conversation. I want to thank you for, for joining us today. I think there's just tons and tons of gems, both in your tweet storm, which we'll link to, as well as everything we talked about today about managing up. I think managers, you should be thinking of this whole episode from the perspective of both what you can do with your relationship to the person that you report to, as well as how you can actually think about teaching your team how to do these things and be more empathetic to their challenges and how they're trying to manage up to you. Uh, Wes, how can people find you and follow you? Uh, what would you like people to, to uh, find you on the interwebs? On Twitter, I'm at Wes underscore KO. And I also write a newsletter covering a lot of topics about startups, marketing, managing people, managing teams uh, at WesKO.com. And then Maven, awesome. my company, is at MavenHQ. Awesome. Very cool. So we will get a link to everything in the in the show notes for everyone. And uh, thanks again, Wes, for joining us. This was uh, this was an awesome conversation. Thanks, Jason.